Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these earliest published episodes have accurate information in them. In this episode, I noticed that a couple of times when talking about endometriosis lesions, we said endometriosis implants. Now, you can refer to endometriosis in either way, but after further understanding the harm that the theory of retrograde menstruation as the origin of endometriosis, which it's not. So after understanding the harm that this debunked theory causes to our community, we think it's better to say lesions. Although many research papers use the term implants, many people in the community don't like this term because it can be implied that endometriosis is implanted, like from retrograde menstruation. Now, we know that endometriosis is not from retrograde menstruation, and it's not from the uterus leaking backwards blood, into the abdominal cavity that then implants and becomes endometriosis. So most likely we are born with endometriosis. And therefore, Brittany and I now prefer to use a more neutral term like endometriosis lesions that doesn't have any implications to the origin of the disease. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today we're going to talk about bowel problems, IBS, and digestive problems. Why do we have them? Because we're blessed. What can we do about it? Cry. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) poo a lot. (laughs) That's what we do. Today we're going to talk about science. We're going to have a lot of laughter. We're going to give some tips and talk about poo a lot. And talk about our bodily (laughs) bowel functions, which is a favorite topic of many people. Yes. And if you've been with us long enough, you know it's a favorite topic of ours. (laughs) So this episode is going to be dedicated to the causes of IBS and bowel problems that we have when we have endometriosis. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about some solutions to these causes because As we were researching for the causes of this episode, we realized, oh my God, like there's a lot of causes to why we can have bowel problems with endometriosis. And I think a lot of us think that most of our problems stem from endometriosis and they may not always be wrong. They do. You know, like endometriosis causes a lot of problems. (laughs) 
I just feel like as people who suffer from endometriosis, it's whenever I have a pain or whenever I have a problem with my bladder, whenever I my pee burns or I feel constipated or my have weird cramps or yeah. weird feeling or something hurts that's weird, I automatically think, mm, must be the endo. <laughs> but today we're going to enlighten you. <laughs> and we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about some reasons why we can have IBS and bowel problems and digestive disturbances. That's a very nice way to say diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> and constipation. It's a beautiful way to say that. I diarrhea like that. And constipation. <laughs> Digestive disturbances. Digestive disturbances. What a better way to say that. <laughs> Adopt that for yourself. Oh, you were in the bathroom a really long time. I'm so sorry. I was having a momentary digestive disturbance. It's resolved now. I love You that. sound like a flight attendant. <laughs> Just hold on for the digestive disturbances. <laughs> the turbulence will be over soon. There's some turbulence in the intestines right now. <laughs> the flatulence will cease soon. <laughs> Use that next time. People will be like, okay, oh, all right, I feel cool about this because it sounds so proper. This is not uncomfortable at all. So just because you have bowel issues doesn't necessarily mean you have endometriosis on your bowels. As we know, a lot of things like digestive disturbances and flatulence and bloating all accompany endometriosis, but it doesn't actually mean that there is endometriosis present on your bowel. And according to the Center for Endometriosis Care's website, actually only about 10 to 15 percent of people with endo have bowel endo. So while you may have symptoms that are related to your digestive issues, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's because of bowel endo. So we know that a high majority of endometriosis sufferers present with bowel problems, IBS, or digestive disturbances. So what exactly does that mean? What are some examples, Brittany, of digestive disturbances? Well, let's start with all faithful diarrhea. <laughs> okay, what about he who does not like to show his face? It's a riddle for constipation. <laughs> <laughs> Graphic riddle. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> My ever favorite morning, afternoon, and night, doesn't matter when, doesn't matter where, the ever-present nausea. I love intestinal cramping. You got to love yourself a good intestinal cramping. Oh, yeah, the pain that comes along with that especially doesn't have to just be with the cramping, or it could just be random stabbing. Oh, beautiful pain with all of my digestive organs feels really great. And the beloved, oh my God, how many months along are you? <laughs> Do you know what you're having? A cat? If there was a cat inside of my, oh my. shirt instead of endo belly, I almost, we'd all be much happier. I almost think that would be easier to talk about. It's like, a yeah, food baby, not a baby baby. I'm pregnant with a cat. They'd be like, oh my God, it's a miracle. I'd be like, no, you're something wrong with you. You need to go see a mental <laughs> like, health professional. <laughs> but what's worse? A cat, my belly, or, or endo. endo belly. I don't know. I would take the cat too. <laughs> So maybe you're wondering, well, how common are digestive disturbances among the population of people with endometriosis? Were you wondering that, Brittany? Give me the data. I oh. want to know the data. I live for the data. Well, the Center for Endometriosis Care, according to their website, they said that they have their patients fill out a preoperative questionnaire. 
And here are some statistics, which I'm going to just directly quote from their website. I'm adding my own emphasis to this. Intestinal cramping and painful bowel movements occur in approximately 25% of patients. Constipation occurs in 35% of patients. And diarrhea occurs in more than 60% of patients. Who here is listening is surprised. Nobody. End quote. (laughs) So this report is of people whose bowel movements and constipation and diarrhea are severe. That's what the website says. So actually these statistics, which were 25% painful bowel movements and cramping, 35% constipation, and 60% diarrhea. So those don't include people who have mild or moderate symptoms. So actually, the statistics are probably much higher when you include people who's, like, those are only statistics of people who have severe symptoms. And that's a lot. 60% diarrhea. You see, now I don't feel so alone because 60% of you listening probably also have diarrhea. And a good percentage of you may not have severe diarrhea, but probably the rest of you also have (laughs) diarrhea. We feel very validated in this moment. I'm not alone. (laughs) Well, based off that data, it's honestly no surprise why so many of us have been diagnosed with or even misdiagnosed with a syndrome like IBS instead of being properly diagnosed with endometriosis. What is IBS, Brittany? I mean, I know it is because I've lived with it for like (laughs) 16 years. But what if other people don't know that acronym? So IBS is irritable bowel syndrome, which accurately describes what the heck it is. (laughs) And your bowels are very irritated at everything. That's what IBS is. So it could also be known as angry bowel. Pissed off bowel. Upset bowel. (laughs) Raging bowel. No, but there are some other terms for it. Spastic colon, irritable colon, or spastic colitis. What a mouthful. If you've heard those terms or IBS, it's the same diagnosis for this condition. Okay, Brittany, we've established it's common in people with endometriosis. Lucky, lucky. And it can go by many, many names. Why do we have these problems? So I got some reasons for you. About eight reasons. And this is just what we came up with. There's probably more than eight reasons. But are you ready for the first reason? Yes. Is the first one the most important one or? No, I mean, they're kind of random, but (laughs) it's just what we thought of first and maybe what makes the most sense to us first. So the first one that makes the most sense to me is that endometriosis is inflammatory. Is it? It is. Oh, my God. That's news to me. I had no idea. Idea that endometriosis was inflammatory. Makes everything inside of you swell and scream in anguish. So as we all know with endo, that inflammation wreaks havoc on our bodies. Well, I just found out, so please <laughs> work with me here. You're full of it. <laughs> You're full of the topic of the day. <laughs> You're full of inflammation. <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. But one of the places that endo-inflammation really affects is the bowel. So if you have endo in your abdomen, it can actually release inflammatory mediators. And these are things like prostaglandins, tumor necrosis factor, my favorite combination of words. Wow. (laughs) That that sounds scary. I know. Tumor necrosis Yeah, you don't want anything that has to do with necrosis. (laughs) But it sounds fun altogether. Tumor necrosis factor, TNF. 
interleukins and cytokines, which are all super fancy sciencey terms for your insides hulk out and get really angry. And that's what that means. Because of the inflammation. Yes. Everything gets all inflamed and hulks out. And that's why we have these issues. So because endometriosis is in your bowel area, in your abdomen, and then it releases all this inflammation, then that inflammation affects your bowels because they're all close together like neighbors. Yeah, and some of these inflammatory mediators, like the prostaglandins, actually cause another fancy science term, smooth muscle contractility, which is diarrhea. (laughs) So these things actually cause other issues. And you can also get abdominal cramping as a result of the prostaglandins. So all of these things working together cause a myriad of issues. I'm scared. <laughs> I yeah, want you the should cytokines be. <laughs> and the tumor necrosis factor. And the what else? The prostaglandins and the interleukins. Yes. Wow. I, wow. I just said all that from memory. <laughs> You're so smart. I'm going to go be a biology teacher Wicked now. smart. <laughs> They're like, what do you teach in your biology class? I just teach about the cytokines and the about abdomen. diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard the word smooth muscle contractility? They're like, no. <laughs> Let me wow. teach you about that. I know a lot about that. <laughs> Okay, so thank you, Brittany, for that lovely explanation about inflammation and endometriosis. I learned a lot. No, seriously. Okay, next, on to me. So (laughs) everything's always about her. (laughs) (laughs) On to my explanation. Your endometriosis can be located near the bowel. And being near the bowel, can you guess what it does? Pretty sure I know. The implants and the nodules of endometriosis irritate the bowel. That's relatable. Like, (laughs) if I lived anywhere near endometriosis, I'd be irritated, too. I mean, I am irritated that that even exists. (laughs) Okay, so, for example, you might be thinking, well, where near the bowel? Were you thinking that? Yes. Yes, I was. Perfect. So, you can have endometriosis on your uterosacral ligaments. My hoodie, what, what, what's? God, Brittany, (laughs) don't you know anything about the human body? Yes, I know that I got two eyes and two ears and a mouth and some other things. And but you lost me at utero. I I took a hard left turn there. Oh, my gosh. Anatomy 101. It's like 301 at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You've all taken anatomy 101 and 201 with us. When you're getting a PhD. (laughs) Tell me what it is. This is very focused anatomy. Your uterosacral ligaments, I won't lie, I Googled that thing before I started this episode. (laughs) Okay, Amy Google, please tell me. (laughs) Okay, Dr. Amy. So let's start with a ligament. Did you know that a ligament is a fibrous tissue that connects things? Okay, I got that part. Okay. I know I got ligaments all over my body. That's right. It connects things. So the uterosacral ligament connects the neck of the womb. Oh my. <laughs> that feels graphic. So the neck of the womb is your cervix. But okay. so... Can we just say cervix? <laughs> neck of the womb is very That's how uncomfortable it for up me. In... Well, you know, it's funny. What was that written in 1945? <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it's so funny that it showed up in like some medical definitions. I was like, the neck, neck of, of your the womb. womb. And then I was Googling, what is the neck of your womb? <laughs> 
And then I remembered. Google must be like, what is this girl doing? I know. Google is tracking me and they're very concerned about my internet activity, let me tell you. And the weirdest ad pops up. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's all about like. It's just a neck of the womb. Is your ad. Buy necks of the womb. I know. Sounds like a mushroom. I'm very confused. So did you know in Spanish, the name for your cervix is el cuello de útero? Which oh. is the neck of your womb. That's how it's referred to in Interesting. Spanish. Interesting. Yeah. So when I read that, I was like, oh, your cervix. Oh, I already knew that from Spanish. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Back to the uterosacral ligament. So it connects the neck of your womb, also known aka as el cuello de útero in Spanish, <laughs> for all our Spanish listeners. And it connects it to the sacrum. Do you know what that is? No, ma'am. It's the bottom of your spine. Oh. Okay, so we're going to have a little connecty connect of your cervix to the bottom of your spine. Ow. Yeah. That's the uterosacral ligament. They're not very... Why are they there? Go Google they it. They and, and you can look at photos. Yeah, you can see photos of the uterosacral ligament. It's quite interesting. It sounds fascinating. Pause while we Google uterosacral ligaments. I already Googled it. Go Google it in your own time, Brittany. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. All right. So having endometriosis there, which is quite like a deep part inside of you, that can irritate your intestines. And then let's not forget that you can have endometriosis on your, <laughs> this is my favorite one, rectovaginal septum. Okay. So I got a septum in my nose. Are you trying to tell me I have a septum in between some holes? Yes, Brittany. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to go for poetry there. Okay. Yes. Oh my God. I'm highly, <laughs> highly impressed. So your septum is a tissue, like a tissue that separates things. And your rectovaginal septum is a tissue between, can you guess, your rectum and your vagina? Makes Hence, sense. Rectovaginal septum. I like when they make sense and I can guess what they are before having to Google them. Honestly, you can have endo anywhere, right? Like you were learning about all these body parts that we had no idea existed. Like who knew there was a septum between our rectum and our vagina that could get covered in endometriosis? I mean, the minute I learned that you could get endometriosis on your eyelid, I was tapping out. I was like, (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Like just covered in endo head to toe. I can't. So let's not forget one of the third places where you could have endometriosis that then irritates the bowels is on your pouch of Douglas. I'm sorry, who is Douglas and why do we know about his pouch? You're correct that there was originally an anatomist named James Douglas, a man who lived from 1675 to 1742. I'm sorry, this man finds some body part that already existed in the body. He just like, yeah, what is he quote unquote, name it? discovered it, quote unquote. Because he cut some poor person open. Well, <laughs> I want to name, you know what? I'm going to rename the pouch of Douglas today, the pouch of Amy, because okay. I discovered it today when I mm. used Google to make this episode. Okay, that's not a thing, but okay. So do you want to know what the pouch of Amy is? No, because that's not real. Can you please tell me what the pouch of Douglas is? <laughs> terrible. <laughs> The pouch of Douglas, Brittany, buzzkill. Everyone, all her dreams, you know, don't support her. (laughs) Is the rectouterine pouch. Can you guess what the rectouterine pouch is? 
I'm guessing it's a pouch somewhere between the rectum and the uterus. Yes, Brittany. Oh, I like when they tell me what they are and I don't have to feel stupid. <laughs> it's basically, the pouch is like, it's not an actual pouch. So I don't have like a kangaroo would... pouch inside of me. You can't can't like, put a Joey in there, save can't. some money for later. Like, open me up, put like some beads in there, like cultivate some sand like an oyster. <laughs> like have some pearls later. Like it's a time, You put that. a time capsule in there. You're like, I'll come back for you in 50 years. <laughs> I'll see what I was going to do 50 years I can years put like ago. a watermelon seed in there, make my own watermelons. Like it's not. Oh, that's disappointing. I thought I had a built-in pocket. <laughs> Women don't get pockets on anything. I thought I was going to get one. <laughs> you probably could put a watermelon seed in there because the pouch of Douglas is a cavity in the abdominal in the lowest and deepest part. Creepy. So Endo loves to hang out there. It's like the cool kids area where, like, all the loners hang out there. So it's all the cool kids in leather jackets. Like, where the Endo that, like... Wears leather jackets and carry switchblades and smokes. Lives. Oh my god! Like the yes. cool grease night, like fifties greaser. I definitely think Endo has switchblades <laughs> in that pouch. See, and then cigarettes for the burning. I was thematic here. <laughs> oh it was god. intentional. She's Brittany. <laughs> You're on fire today. Like the Endo in Douglas's pouch. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, when I was learning about these three places, to summarize, the pouch of Douglas the rectovaginal septum, or the uterosacral ligaments. These are three places that can cause painful bowel movements, irritation to the bowels, change in bowel movements, and even the dreaded rectal bleeding. Oh, a good fan favorite. Everyone loves wearing a pad in the back of their underwear. Of course. <laughs> I certainly do. It gives a little extra cushion when you sit down. A little butt pillow. It's comfy. It's with you at all times. It's comfy. You can have a butt like Donald Duck. Oh, my goodness. Duck butt. It's just better if you wear a diaper at that point. Like, Yeah, just for the both the front and the back. Just wrap it all up. Wouldn't say I've never considered it. Wouldn't say I, I haven't, haven't done, done it. it. Yes, I definitely have worn an adult diaper yes. on my period. Just like, screw it. This is way more comfortable. I'm bleeding everywhere. It's leaking. It's coming out of many yeah. orifices. All I need is a nosebleed and an ear bleed. Tampons are good for the And the vomit bleeds. blood. Well, and then they'd be coming out of all the holes. Yeah, so. Then you might need to go see a doctor at that point. Sounds like something might be going on. Also... I just want to point out that you don't have to have endo in those three places to have bowel problems from endometriosis. Endo in the abdomen can affect the bowel because your abdominal cavity has a lot inside of it. Like your muscles, like your fascia. Ooh, fascia. How fashionable. Get it? <laughs> I, I got it, Brittany. Well. It is kind of fashionable having fascia all over your body. It's like a dense sweater holding all of your muscles and organs, like a tight woven web of mostly collagen. That's why, it's really, that's why it's really important, people, to eat your collagen. A sweater made out of connective tissue. Ooh, what will they think of next? <laughs> well, I looked online. I was like, what is fascia? And it came up. It was like, it's like a dense web or a dense sweater holding your organs and muscles and tissues. So it's like, <laughs> yum. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful. 
So I guess it is kind of fashionable that the fascia keeps all of our internal organs in place. It's kind of useful. Well, yeah, that's why your bowels are not just like every time you walk, they're not like swaying from left to right. You know, your kidneys aren't just like bopping around in there. Everything is (laughs) held in place by this connective tissue sweater. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But guess what happens when you have endo in there? Guess what happens to the dense connective tissue sweater? Does it distort my connective tissue sweater? Does it grow pom-poms on it? Does it grow weird things and have a thread pull and then I pull at the shoulder and all of a sudden the bottom is just completely falling apart? Could I bring it to an ugly Christmas sweater party? Mm, yes. <laughs> that was, that's, uh, metaphorically, that was very accurate. But what does it literally do to our bodies since well, we like don't what, have connective so tissue sweaters? I, I like what you said about, you know, imagine that the sweater, it's a knit sweater. And when you pull on one piece of wool, like on one section of the sweater... It can bunch and tense and pull at the rest of the sweater because it's all knitted together. So that's kind of like what happens inside. So when you have endo and you have an endo implant in one part of the abdomen, because it's this dense, connective tissue, ugly Christmas sweater inside of there (laughs) holding your bowels and muscles and other organs in place, when the endo pulls at one part, it distorts and tenses and affects other parts in your abdomen. Because it's all connected. Why is everything all connected? (laughs) Uh, I mean, thank you, Fashionable Fascia, for keeping my body from, like, falling apart, disintegrating. (laughs) But also, like... But you're doing too good of a job. Come on. When there's a problem in one place, you're telling me how there's a problem in a totally different place because of the connection. Could you just relax and just, like, deal with your own problem but not cause other problems? Could you be more like a spandex rather than... (laughs) Stretch. We don't need to bunch up and distort. (laughs) So all of that can distort the muscular anatomy in your abdomen, and it can cause pelvic floor dysfunction, for example. So that can affect the way that your bowels work, leading to our favorites, constipation, diarrhea, and belly. The trifecta. We love you. So the next reason is a personal favorite. Allergies and intolerances. I love intolerances. I know. I love allergies. So it's not uncommon to have allergies or intolerances to certain foods, and they can present as digestive disturbances. For sure. Now, there fortunately is a way to tell if you have an allergy, which is to get a test done by a doctor. Well, guess what, Brittany? I did a ton of allergy tests when I was 18 years old and I was having all the diarrhea and they were like, I wonder if your bowel is irritated because you have allergies. And they all came back negative, even to the blessed dairy. But I know I'm lactose intolerant. Well, because so what do you have to say to that? there is a difference between an allergy and an intolerance. Oh. Yes, that's why. Oh, wait. Does normally an allergy have a histamine response? I love histamines. My favorite topic. So an allergy is usually a histamine reaction. So when you think of... I love histamine. Sorry. I'm, I know. I'm in control. <laughs> but histamine your, your histamines making, aren't. It's the histamine making me do it. But when we think Every of... Every time you say histamine, I want to gouge my eyeballs out. The H word. Okay. <laughs> Can you please call it the H word? Because I literally, if I hear the word histamine again, I will... You're going to have a histamine reaction and cry. Have a nervous breakdown. And if I cry... Guess what? I'm actually intolerant to my own tears. Yay, histamine. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> with histamine intolerance, you can pretty much you can be intolerant to everything. anything. <laughs> so don't say histamine. Just say the just okay, say the, the H. H word. So yes, an allergy and an H word go hand in hand because an allergy is an H reaction. So when you think of like anaphylactic shock or some people eat something like sesame or peanuts and they have an allergic reaction, that is one thing, but an intolerance behaves differently in the body. So while an allergic reaction has its own set of symptoms, so does an intolerance. An intolerance can present in ways like inabilities to digest a certain substance or lacking an enzyme in your body to process something like dairy, or that something like a substance like gluten may damage the villi in your small intestine. So all of these things do something to your body, but not the same things that an allergy does. But both are very valid in causing a digestive disturbance in your body. Brittany, I heard you mention the word dairy. Mm-hmm. My favorite substance, the Lactose. blessed <laughs> I know. But why are people intolerant to dairy? Why am I intolerant to the thing I love? I know. Is it because I'm being punished by the universe? I mean, partly, but also. Oh. <laughs> no, no, that's not it at all. Well, it feels like it. Well, lactose intolerance is actually quite common worldwide. And it's because our bodies actually do what they're intended to do. And after we wean off of our mother's breast milk. Oh, sorry. Are you like reminiscing about <laughs> breast milk? Like, what was, that got really weird. <laughs> I mean, breast milk's really good for you, but like, whoa, what? <laughs> I do not remember drinking breast milk, honestly. <laughs> I just. <laughs> it made you grow big and strong. <laughs> I got excited. I thought you were going to talk about cheese. No, I'm sure that's existing. And now I'm weirded out. <laughs> So after we wean off our mother's breast milk, if we had that as a baby, then our body actually slows or stops completely the production of the enzyme lactase, which is what actually digests your blessed lactoseful dairy cheese. So because our body stops producing that enzyme and that enzyme is necessary for breaking down the lactose, we can't digest it and we become lactose intolerant. I hate intolerances. They're evil. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of people, when they eat dairy, they have a lot of reactions. Dairy is one of the big triggers for many people for endometriosis flares. I know a lot of people cut out dairy, myself included. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Reluctantly, but it has been done for over 15 years. I have lived without cheese. She's looked at cheese (laughs) with doe eyes from across the room. From afar. (laughs) One day I'll get you back. One day. One day. <laughs> Another reason why the beloved dairy oh. <laughs> might be an endo trigger, even if you are not lactose intolerant, is because of the casein in dairy. Casein is a protein that can cause some people autoimmune problems. And it can also, lo and behold, upset the gut or immune system, especially in us really sensitive people. Yay, I love being sensitive. We're so blessed. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad everything causes me problems. (laughs) Not really. For that reason, cutting out dairy might really help with your digestive problems. And something else you can consider cutting out is gluten. And that's because it causes digestive problems in many people as well. 
I'm sorry, Brittany, but isn't being gluten-free a fad? Hello. That was so two years ago. (laughs) Yeah, it was so a decade of my entire life. (laughs) I'm sure for some people it is a fad. And in popular media, it's becoming more of a health and beauty tip thing. So for some people, maybe. Well, kale is gluten-free. Yes, it is. <laughs> Good <laughs> They sell job. you kale. They're like, kale is gluten-free. You're like, oh, my God. Like, this water, kale? now gluten-free. Like, and, what did you put in it before? <laughs> and gluten-free? Oh, I have to have it now. Oh, my god. Yeah, so there's definitely some fad to it, which benefits us people who are actually gluten intolerant. But their gluten intolerance is real. And because it's an intolerance, as we distinguished before, Oftentimes, the way that the intolerance presents itself is in symptoms that people don't automatically associate with gluten. So that might be something else that is causing your bowel disturbances that could be worth taking a look at. So if you want to investigate whether or not you have a gluten intolerance, cutting it out for 30 days could be a really good way to navigate how you feel, and then you can go from there. And that you could use with anything that you think you might be intolerant to. Mm -hmm. Cut it out, but at least for a month, you know, to give your system time to heal and then be like, how did I feel on gluten? Self-evaluation. And off gluten. And I know that Brittany talked earlier about food allergy tests, but we want to distinguish between those, which you would do with an allergist, from food sensitivity tests or test kits that you oftentimes use at home, which are IgG tests. So these are kits that you do that supposedly tell you if you're sensitive to like a hundred different foods measuring your IgG, but unfortunately these are not evidence-based. Many organizations have recommended against using IgG testing to diagnose food allergies or intolerances because of this. So we wanted to point those out because those can be very expensive and they're not useful. The next thing we want to quickly mention as a possibility for bowel disturbances is inflammatory bowel disease, affectionately known as IBD, to the people who suffer it (laughs) and to the general medical community at large. Is it irritable bowel disease or irritable bowel doom? It's inflammatory bowel doom. I mean disease. All of them. (laughs) (laughs) Inflammatory, irritable bowel doom disease. (laughs) I-B-S-D-S-D-B-I. That was a mess. Forgive me. (laughs) So the technical term is inflammatory bowel disease. Doom. Oh, sorry. Disease. Some examples of this is Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. Most of us who have endometriosis don't have IBD. But if your symptoms are severe or if you have rectal bleeding or if you're just worried about it, you could get a colonoscopy and you could have a GI workup to just rule these things out. I think a lot of us who present with bowel disturbances end up getting a whole bowel workup with the gastrointestinal doctor because they think that because we're having bowel problems that the origin is that there's a problem with our bowels. But for a lot of us, the origin is our endometriosis and the inflammation or the food intolerances or the things that we're talking about today. But 
I want to give a quick word of caution that if you get a colonoscopy and they say that you have colitis or Crohn's, then probably you do. Like, I'm not the doctor. I haven't seen your colonoscopy results. I haven't seen the pathology. I haven't seen anything. But I have heard of some endometriosis sufferers in the community getting misdiagnosed with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis when they really had endometriosis on the bowel. But again, <laughs> I feel like that's like the rare person might actually, but then the rare, rarer person. <laughs> but it does happen. But, but I want to say, but I don't think that is as frequent because it's more rare. Like for endometriosis to be seen on a colonoscopy, it means that it had to penetrate all four layers of the bowel. That's a lot to get through. Normally, it's rare that endometriosis has penetrated all four layers. Like I had three colonoscopies and I had a colonoscopy two weeks before my excision surgery and they did not find anything on my colonoscopy. My bowel on the inside looked incredible. Squeaky clean. Smooth. Whatever shade of pink or red it was supposed to be. But endo-free. But endo-free on the inside. So it's not common that it will come through on the colonoscopy, but some very rare cases when it does, they can mistake it for colitis. Anyway, so what I'm saying, now you're all confused. You're like, so do I have What am I supposed to do? Basically, I have colitis. Do I have colitis? I mean, probably you have colitis. So I don't want you to doubt or anything. I just, we should always be good patient advocates. Whenever we get a diagnosis of something, I think we should, for example, if they do a colonoscopy, they should most likely take, I mean, they stick in a camera up there. So normally they take photos. Lots of pictures. Yeah, they have, they have pictures. They can you have normally, a souvenir for later. They can take um, biopsies. We can get our results of what we've been told and we can look them over. We can always take them to our endo specialist. Get a second opinion. Who can look and who can, and we can get a second opinion. So if we do get a diagnosis of of IBD, well, it's terrible that we also have IBD and endo. (laughs) Yay, comorbidities. (laughs) Yay. If you have IBD, hooray for you. (laughs) I don't have IBD, but my- You got to collect them all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have IBD, but my sister has ulcerative colitis and she had a very severe case and she actually had to have a a lostomy bag when she was in high school. So I am very familiar with IBD and it's hard to live with. So if you do live with IBD, then wow. I mean, what strength you have to live with two very difficult conditions. So the next thing that could be causing your digestive mishaps could be SIBO or gut dysbiosis. Wow. SIBO. What is SIBO? A really fun acronym. Oh. That means small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Let me guess. Your bacterias in your small intestines got out of control. Yes, they're having a party that you didn't authorize for them to throw. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what's happening. So what's gut dysbiosis? That's when the bacteria in your colon go a little crazy and do things they're not authorized to do. So in both cases, the bad bacteria moved in. Oh, yeah. Crowded out the They're the bad apple of the bunch. They're toxic friends. They made everybody else bad, throwing ragers without your permission. 
So it's like when one raspberry goes moldy and then the whole pack of raspberries is moldy. Yep. Like the next day you wake up, you're like, what? You were all fine yesterday. Why are you all covered with mold and I have to throw you away when I wanted to eat you? One bad apple spoils the bunch. So, of course, it's important to understand why this happens. Tell me why. This can happen if endo affects your peristalsis. Now, peristalsis is the relaxing and contracting of your bowels. It's like a little inchworm that moves your stool through your body. Oh. I love the name peristalsis. I kind of name my child that I'm... <laughs> your future theoretical child, you're going to name it peristalsis. <laughs> Actually, I'll name my future kitty peristalsis. No, we're, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but peristalsis is what moves your stool along. And when there's a lack of peristalsis, meaning everything comes to a screeching halt, <laughs> things just sit there and then bad things happen. So why would I have a lack of peristalsis, which is the normal way the bowel functions, like an inchworm? So you could have adhesions tugging on everything. You're like tugging in all the wrong places. Or you could have a bunch of lesions just popping up all over the place, blocking up traffic. And that can affect your body's ability to have effective peristalsis. So all the adhesions are pulling on the bowel, so then the bowel can't inch forward like an inchworm? It's like, we're stuck, we're paralyzed. (laughs) That's what it's like. Did you know that most of your gut bacteria are in your large intestine and that there's actually few bacteria in your small intestine? I did not. And that's why when the inchworm cannot move. Constipated. Constipated. Okay, wait. Who loves being constipated? Cricket. 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 Nobody. (laughs) My cat loves crickets. If she was here, she'd be playing. All right. No one loves being constipated. I don't love it either. So when you're constipated, it's kind of like... You're on a big highway with a bunch of lanes and a really heavy traffic. And then on the exit that you want to get off, there's a huge tractor trailer pulling one of those giant mobile homes. And he's going really, really slow off the exit because it's an uphill ramp. Oh, no. So then traffic, all the traffic behind gets congested and it starts to build up. And that is my analogy for how SIBO which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. So all the traffic starts to build up. All the bacteria start to multiply. Yeah, build up in the small intestines where they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be in the colon, but then they overgrow in the small intestines. Thank you, constipation. Thank you, endometriosis. You cause so many ripples. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't, and that's why we're constipated. Okay, I meant ripple effect, not actual peristalsis. Okay. Well, Brittany, why do I care if all these bacteria crowd in my small intestines? Why? I mean, SIBO is kind of a cool, it's kind of cool. SIBO. SIBO. Well, the symptoms that SIBO causes aren't that cool. Oh. Okay. Okay. Things like pain, (laughs) diarrhea, (laughs) bloating, (gasps) the ever-present endobelly. I love bloating. I know. We all do. (laughs) Well, when you eat, all the food travels down the body, goes into the small intestine, and of course the bacteria are like, oh my God, somebody brought beer and pizza to the party. And, <laughs> literally, I mean, or literally or figuratively. figuratively. Yeah. And they go wild because they're all excited to gobble it up. They love carbohydrates, by the way. So when it's party time, they all go ham, 
<laughs> more food analogies, <laughs> on all of those food particles that are in your body. It's a piece of cake for them to eat so that undigested. food references. <laughs> Foods neither of us eat, but, <laughs> but I like it. So because there's so many bacteria and they're going wild in this small concentrated area. I want to go. It sounds like a rave. I want to go there. Yes, it's a rave. But the <laughs> rave, because all the bacteria is like, it's a oh, carbohydrate we ate pizza rave. and beer. We have to, you know, have flatulence now. Oh, wow. That makes you have flatulence. And all that flatulence builds up and you got bloating and you got diarrhea and you got all these other problems because all those little SIBO bacteria are like, all right, now let's cause some havoc. Now they're swinging from the chandeliers <laughs> and spray painting your <laughs> intestines. So that's why you don't want SIBO. <laughs> they called, someone called the police. The police are too scared to even yeah. approach the premises. Like it's too backed up in there. It's like a ticking They're time like, bomb. They're like, get the riot gear on. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it's, SIBO is not a friendly face. Call in the U.S. military. We're going to need some heavy guns for this situation. We need artillery to go in there. We need a whole lot of rotorootering. <laughs> what are some other causes of SIBO? So, of course, the number one thing we've already covered, inflammation. Oh, inflammation. Stop <laughs> it's it already. It's a curse to us Stop all in so it. many ways. <laughs> Stop hurting my body all the time in every single place. Another thing that can affect gut bacteria is antibiotics. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the antibiotics can hurt the good bacteria. It kills everything, including the good oh, things. Oh, and then the bad ones thrive. And like, ha, 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 ha. The good ones are gone. We will have another party. So many parties. Also, the standard American diet, or SAD for short. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually what it's called. It's yes, that's not us making it up. <laughs> yeah. The standard American diet, it tends to be high in things like added sugars, excess sodium, refined grains, and low in fiber. All of those things can lead to gut dysbiosis or SIBO. Another super fun one that I'm sure happens to none of us, chronic stress. No! Stress! <laughs> Don't you just want to be stressed forever? <laughs> I have endostress meowses. It's pretty hard not to have chronic stress, but I'm trying. That chronic but stress hard, can lead but to I'm SIBO. <laughs> I know. You can do everything. Stress does everything. It's kind of like endometriosis. Ooh. I wonder which Ooh. one is more powerful. <sighs> If they which were to one battle. is the greater enemy? Yeah, if they it's were like to... King Kong versus Godzilla. Which one is which? Which one will win? Stress versus endometriosis. <laughs> which one screws your body up more? To be continued. To battle it out at a later date. Sequel one. <laughs> the next thing that can also add to bad bacteria growth is the use of NSAIDs. Oh, come on. I know. One of the medications that can reduce inflammation and therefore pain can also cause bad bacteria overgrowth. NSAIDs stand for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. What's the D? Oh, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Yes. Oh, the painkiller that I relied on most in my 20s and can no longer use because it ruined my gut. Loved, loved when I could use it, but hate now. Well, it was really nice to learn that all of those things can affect SIBO. I think especially for me, the use of NSAIDs, which I was using pretty heavily in the entire decade of my 20s to just hold my job and get through the day. Naproxen, I love you. Shout out to my ex-best friend, Naproxen. And... Also, inflammation. 
with endometriosis, we have such high inflammation. I found a study about endometriosis and bacterial overgrowth that showed, and it was a small study. Further studies will be, need to be done that are bigger and have a, a bigger range of participants, but you got to start somewhere. They did a study on 50 people with endometriosis and 40 of them, so that's 80% of these patients with endometriosis also had bacterial overgrowth. And there's also research going into how endometriosis actually affects your gut bacteria. Research is showing that a lot of immune system disorders affect the gut microbiome, so they affect your gut bacteria. So endo is not an immune system disorder, but we remember we talked about the cytokines and the inflammatory mediators such as, Brittany, come on, off the top of your head, your favorite one, tumor necrosis factor, mmm, comforting, like the interleukins and the prostaglandins, yay, all my favorite words, and the cytokines, so endometriosis has such an inflammatory component, and it lets off these inflammatory mediators around the endolesions. So a very small study that was done on mice, but a very small study showed that in just 42 days, mice that were given endometriosis, their microbiome changed in just like a month and a half. And we're going to take that study with a Big old grain of salt, because we know that mice don't naturally have endometriosis and they're given, quote unquote, endometriosis through implanting the uterine lining in them. But I would love to see more research on gut problems in a person who has endometriosis because whether it's from inflammation or adhesions on the bowel or having excision surgery on the bowel because bowel surgery can be a contributing factor to SIBO or taking NSAIDs for pain management, or the major chronic stress that at least I know I'm under from having to deal with endo, or any other way that endometriosis directly or indirectly affects gut health, I would just love to learn more about that because I know that for some of us, and definitely in my own case, working on my gut health as a part of a multidisciplinary approach to dealing with this disease has been really helpful. And knowing this has helped me find compassion with myself with my own digestive problems. I guess I understand that I have gut dysbiosis and all the overgrowth of all the bad bacteria, not because I failed with my diet. But that's because that invitation came with the endo party. (laughs) But because I have endometriosis. (laughs) You didn't invite either person, but they showed up anyway. I endo invited the cytokines. Mm -hmm. And then the cytokines invited the bad bacteria. Mm -hmm. Then the bad bacteria invited the constipation. It's a really bad house party in your (laughs) abdominal cavity and everything inside of you. (laughs) The cytokines sort of say to the sea while they're like, tag. You're at SIBO. <laughs> it's your turn. It's like passing off the baton in a marathon run or whatever that is. Like, all right, it's your turn now. Inflame over here. Okay, bad gut growth over here. Okay, wreak mm-hmm. havoc over here. Lesion there, lesion there. <laughs> yep, that's exactly how it happened. So if your gut bacteria sucks, just know that it's probably because... It's not your fault. It's, it's the endos It's probably fault. because you have endometriosis, <laughs> especially if you're not doing these other things like you didn't have a bunch of antibiotics and you have a good diet and 
You're controlling your endostress meowsis. Mm-hmm. So one of the next causes to bowel disturbances is your diet. And we already talked about allergies and intolerances, but your diet as a whole, of course, can have an effect on how your digestive system operates. Hold on, hold on. Mic drop. <laughs> it feels so epic. <laughs> and this isn't saying like, oh, if you eat the right things, we're going to judge you for what you're eating. But we know that our diet and what we're eating absolutely affects how our digestive process goes or doesn't go. And I mean, even if a person is, let's say, eating a higher quantity of fresh fruits and vegetables versus like ultra processed foods, it can still lead to digestive problems if we're not chewing our food well. Or maybe we're eating a lot of raw vegetables and raw vegetables cause a problem for us. Or maybe we're eating too much insoluble fiber or other things that we're going to talk about in part two. So I think that it can take time to find our individual way of eating that consists of nutrient-dense foods that don't cause digestive disturbances or at least cause less digestive disturbances than like other foods do for us. So the seventh thing that may affect your digestive systems is stress, which is not surprising to us all, I'm sure. Now, our gut was our very first brain. Wow. Yeah. It was like, our brain before we had a brain in our heads? Well, before we knew we had brains in our heads. And oftentimes, even now we know we have brains, our gut feeling is oftentimes what dictates the choices we make or how we feel about things. Having a gut feeling is a very common phrase. When we're nervous, we feel butterflies in our stomachs. When we're angry, we have a knot or a rock in our stomachs. So this is very common language that we use because stress actually severely affects that area of our body. And we can feel it. We can feel the butterflies in our stomach. We can feel the knot in our stomach. I have butterflies right now <laughs> in my pouch of Amy. <laughs> That's not real. They're fluttering around. <laughs> They're kind of tickling me. Oh, my gosh. I think you should get that looked at. Make them stop. <laughs> She's lost it, everyone. <laughs> podcast will no longer feature Amy. <laughs> Featuring the butterflies in the pouch of Douglas. You just hear fluttering the whole time. It's a very loud podcast with all the fluttering going on. <laughs> but stress actually makes our body take action. And this action can be fight or flight mode, which I'm sure you've heard of. And during fight or flight mode, it actually our body shuts down digestion because what it does is it funnels all of the blood and energy to the parts of our body that need it most. And during that critical danger time, during fight or flight, we need to be running or fighting, not digesting food. So our digestive system actually shuts down because our body is funneling all of the energy to other parts. So when we are in stress and our body is in fight or flight mode, our digestion ceases, which means we're getting a buildup. We're getting all of these symptoms that are attributed to backups and constipation and diarrhea and bloating, all of that fun stuff. So when we feel stress, we also feel digestive disturbance. Yep, 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 yep. I realized a long time ago that one of the biggest influencers on my diarrhea, well, one was food, and two was when I felt nervous. 
I used to be like a very nervous. <laughs> oh, people say all the time I have a nervous pee or I have to have a nervous poo. Yeah. I used, oh, yeah. I used to be very nervous. It's taken a lot to work through that and like be calm and feel just more centered and calm. But even now I can feel if I get nervous about like if we have a presentation at work and I get a little nervous and I'm like, I have to run to the bathroom and have diarrhea right now. So I think definitely our stress and our mental state can affect our guts. Okay, the last thing that we want to mention, which doesn't mean it's the last thing that could be causing you bowel disturbances, but it's just the last thing we're going to talk about here today, is... Drum roll, please. Drum roll. (laughs) Bowel endometriosis. Dun, 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 dun. So you might be like, oh my gosh, why did we put that last? And we deliberately put this at the end because as we stated at the beginning of the episode, only about 10 to 15% of people with endometriosis have bowel endometriosis. So we wanted to show how many other things could be factors in causing your digestive problems. And it doesn't have to be that you have just only one thing. Like you could have a whole bunch of things. Like I had bowel endo and I have gut dysbiosis and I had major problems with stress and just being really nervous and I'm intolerant to gluten. Yeah, it's common to have and way more than I have one. a ton <laughs> of inflammation from endometriosis. Thank you. Or you could be like Amy, as she's saying right now, and have all of them. You could also join <laughs> join the exclusive club. <laughs> it's probably pretty likely that we have a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, I don't have IBD. Yes. Oh, wow. Not yes, I don't have IBD. But Seven yes, out of eight. Yeah, yes, I don't have one. Of if them. you have all eight, call us. You will join the secret underground club. <laughs> we have t-shirts. <laughs> Bowel disturbance, royal flush. Yes, if you have seven out of eight, there's a group. If you have eight out of eight, you win the lottery. There oh. should be a prize, okay? Wow. <laughs> So we actually did an entire episode about bowel endometriosis. So we definitely recommend that you check that out if you're interested. But as a quick recap, with bowel endometriosis, it can partially block the bowel with its growths. The endometriosis can or the adhesions can pull and tug on the bowel or it can cause your intestines to harden. (laughs) Wow, that doesn't sound scary. Or narrow. So normally, the bowel stretches in order to pass stool through it. So that's right. So when stool is coming through, the bowel is just like kind of stretchy. And a little it can... peristalsis inchworm. <laughs> and it can, you know, expand a little. Like it can get your stool of various sizes through there. What it's supposed to do. <laughs> but when the bowel has endometriosis on it, and if that hardens the bowel, then guess what? Something hard cannot stretch anymore. Guess what that might cause you? What, Amy? Painful bowel movements. Oh, I would have never guessed. Guess what else it could cause you? I don't know. You tell me, Amy. Constipation. I'd have never thought of that. Oh, my God. And if the bowel narrows in width because of the adhesions or because of the endo, like in my own case, the surgeon said that my bowel had narrowed to about a third of the width of the opening. So like the opening got really small and therefore it was really hard for the stool to pass through. And guess what that caused? What, Amy? What? Painful bowel movement. Oh my god! Guess what that caused? What, Amy? Constipation. No way. Yeah. Oh my god. I would have never guessed that. <laughs> wow. 
And guess what happens when you get constipated for a really long time and your stool won't come out for weeks, Brittany? I have a guess, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. It accumulates. And what happens when it accumulates? Well, at some point, the good old poo has to get out of your body. So a lot of us who have constipation end up after a few days or even a few weeks having what's called reflux diarrhea, which is where then the intestines just like get out everything that was blocked. Massive spasm. Yeah. It's fun. Expulsion central. (laughs) It's Mount Vesuvius, essentially. Oh, my. (laughs) I mean, I'm not wrong. (laughs) So bowel endo can come with significant bowel symptoms. But as we talked about the other seven things, and there could be more things. There could be so many things that are wrong with you. No, no, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things that could be causing something to be wrong with your digestive system. Wow, Amy. There's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) There's something wrong with me. Yes. Yeah, we'll all agree. (laughs) Jeez, Brittany. Jeez, Brittany. There's something wrong with all of us, and there's nothing wrong with that. Rock Brittany. Blue cheese. Okay, no. Okay, get off the cheese train. <laughs> she just talks about travel and I want the cheese. Okay, so. So imagine you and Santa with the cheese. Okay, so, so we now. Wonder, <laughs> we ask you, so do you have bowel disturbances? If you do, what are they? Are you constipated? Do you have diarrhea? Do you have really horrifying flatulence? Do people think you're pregnant when you're not? Do your intestines go bump in the night? Are there (laughs) creaks and groans and moans? You might be haunted by a digestive disturbance. A poltergeist is inside you. (laughs) In your pouch of Douglas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we hope this episode today could get you thinking about some of the other cofactors or co-causes to digestive problems that you might be having. And now you're like, okay, okay, wow, I I think I have really high stress, and I think maybe my diet's contributing, and I might have gut dysbiosis, and I know my inflammation is really high. So maybe now your wheels are turning and your intestines are churning. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Thank you. And you're thinking, okay, great. Well, now I know that there could be all these causes. What do I do about it? Because even more importantly, great, we know we have a lot of these things, but what do we do? How do we fix it? How do we feel better? So the good news is that in the next episode, in just the very next episode, we're going to talk about different ways that you can address some of these root causes, which is great because there are so many things that are in our control and that we can try to manage and try to take care of. And it's so great to feel empowered about our situation, about our health, about what we can do. It's good to know that we have the ability to affect the digestive things that are happening in our body. I'm going to take charge of my diarrhea and my pouch of Douglas and the rave. I'm going to go to the rave. You're going to wrangle it. <laughs> then I'm in the pouch of Douglas. You're going to round them all up and kick them out. <laughs> I'm going to get one of those sheep herding dogs. I'm going to bring it in there. I'm going to have them round up all the bacteria and be like, Peace out. You're evicted. No parties <laughs> anymore. The house no is coming closed. Back. And then put how the police put up. This is a crime scene with the yellow tape. <laughs> You're gonna put up at the door. Like if you see these gluten and dairy, do not let them in. You do all these things. If you see this and you just have a face of evil, angry stress, do not let him happen. As always, we are on Instagram at in sixteen years of endo. 
We are on the website in 16years.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. You can leave us a rating and you can check out our support page on our website. Brittany and I and all the gut bacteria in my body. <laughs> Probably mine too. <laughs> Probably Brittany's, but certifiably in mine. Officially, Amy's. <laughs> we'll be back next week to talk about gut bacteria. So we'll talk to you next time. Bye.